Hello and welcome to the Wake Up Call podcast. Today we are speaking with Mr. Stefan Kinsella about corporations and the corporate form. Mr. Kinsella is a practicing patent attorney and a libertarian writer and speaker. He is director of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, founding and executive editor of Libertarian Papers, and the author of Against Intellectual Property. You can follow his work at stephankinsella.com and you can subscribe to his podcast, Kinsella on Liberty, on iTunes. You can find him on Facebook under NS Kinsella and on Twitter at NS Kinsella. For more information, please see the show notes page for this episode at wakeupcallpodcast.com slash corporations. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. All right, so let's start off with just a quick definition of what a corporation is and what we mean when we say the corporate form. So, of course, the word corporation derives from the Latin term corpus, which means a body. And this originates in the legal practice of granting certain legally recognized rights to business organizations that are formed in, in accordance with certain rules the state set out. It really originated with the practice of limited liability corporations and partnerships. So people get together to have what in the in economics is called firms, right? Just you co- you collaborate together to do some economic activity. Over time, the, the the state stepped in and started regulating aspects of this practice, and they call it a corporation. So under the current law in most uh, Western countries, there is a form of entity called a corporation. And they call it an entity because it has what's called legal personality under the law, uh, which from the state's point of view means it's another thing the government can tax and regulate. So it's actually not really a benefit that the government confers onto uh, organizations. It's more of a way of classifying things that allows the government to regulate and tax them more. But I would say that the basic way to think of it is that when you organize your affairs into a cooperative endeavor with other people in the free market, <clears throat> it can be a partnership or some other form of organization. And one way to do it is called a corporation, and that is a, a number of shareholders or stockholders or owners of the capital of this company, and there are certain rules that specify how the managers or appointed, and then the government has certain rules regarding who's liable for for contracts and torts and things like that. And you talked a little bit about the idea of limited liability and why people really find that useful in corporations. Can you go into that in a bit more detail? Yeah, so the basic idea um, in libertarian theory and in the sort of common law in older days would be that you know, you have a business or you have a life, and you might perform certain actions that harm other people. And if you engage in an action that harms someone else, you're responsible for that. So if you intentionally kill someone or attack someone, then of course you're responsible to make restitution and to compensate them for the damage that you caused. If you negligently do it or if you do it as a result of a breach of contract or because of a relationship with someone where you didn't fulfill what you had agreed to, there could be consequences for that too. And those are all pretty much handled by contract law and fraud law and tort law. 
as the economy gets more advanced, people collaborate together in firms of various sizes. And the simplest would be – so you have a sole proprietorship, which means you just have a business that you run like you're the blacksmith in town. But then you might have your son become an apprentice blacksmith or maybe some someone else moves into town and they start working for you. So you start having one or two or three more people who are employees or they are partners or they're somehow collaborating with you. And so you have two or more people collaborating together to provide a service on the free market. And then on occasion, someone is harmed either contractually, like by a debt not being paid or by a contract not being fulfilled, or some kind of uh, negligent tort is performed by one of the workers or people that are members of this firm, like an employee. Like in a modern example, it would be the driver of a FedEx truck or an Amazon delivery ve you know, vehicle negligently running into an innocent person on a sidewalk. Then the question is who is liable for that harm? In a simple society, person A hurts person B, and person B can sue person A. Or they can sue person A's insurer if person A has an insurer, like a private defense agency, something like that. But when it gets more complicated, if A is a partner with B, C, D, and E, and some third party is harmed, can they sue the partners or the co-employees or the shareholders or the investors of that person? And over time, this question um, became more and more uh, important. And in the corporate form that we have now, there's something called limited liability, which a lot of libertarians um, object to, partly because I think they don't quite understand exactly how it works and what it is and how it arose. But limited liability says that if you have shareholders of a corporation, like let's say all three of us own shares in Apple right now, and Apple has a, a, a delivery driver that harms a person and causes millions of dollars of damages. The question is who caused that person's harm and who can they sue for recompense or for restitution? They could sue the person who harmed them. And they could presumably sue Apple, the employer, the corporation that's the employer because the employer or at least the managers directed them and told them what to do. Then the question is if those assets of those people aren't enough and the assets of the corporation aren't enough to pay the damages of the person that's victimized, could they sue the shareholders? Now, in the earlier partnership law, like in medieval times, right, in, in the law merchant in Italy in the 1400s, a lot of these endeavors were family partnerships, and so you had a bunch of family members come together to form a partnership. And so there was sort of an honor element here where if the reputation of the partnership is at stake or one of the brothers is a miscreant and harms someone, then the others pitch in to save the reputation of the firm, and they'll pay the debts that this guy owes. So this idea arose that you have to pay – for the damage caused by your inferiors, by your servants. Okay. And this actually led to a, a Latin phrase called respondiat superior, which means that you are responsible for the harms caused by your your slaves or your servants, right? People that report to you, that you conduct their, you control their behavior. So the idea is that not only is the person who performed ne a negligent action that harms someone responsible, but someone else is responsible, like a co-insurer. You know, like if you go to college and your father 
agrees to let you uh, take out a student loan and he co-signs the loan for you because you don't have any credit history and you can't get the loan on your own, then your father is liable contractually for the loan because he, he's, a, he's a guarantor of the loan. The idea is similar to that. It's that the employer or the master of the servant, uh, like a parent to a son or to a child, is responsible for harms caused by this wayward uh, servant. So in addition to the limited liability aspect, what are some of the other features of a corporation? Well, another feature of the corporation is it's, it's got what's called entity status under the law, which means it's considered to be a separate legal person under the law, which means that y- if you needed to sue Coca-Cola or FedEx or, or Apple, you can just sue in that name. You don't have to identify all the shareholders or the managers or whoever performed the action. And another feature is perpetual duration. In theory, a corporation can last forever, uh, and there are some corporations that have lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, even though the individual members only have you know 80-year at most lifespans. And some of these features are what some libertarians, especially some left libertarians uh, and some opponents of so-called capitalism – it's what they object to. They say that in a free market, you could not have corporations because you couldn't have limited liability status. You couldn't have perpetual duration, you know, and you couldn't have this entity status. Um, now, and I, we can go into this if you guys like, but there are objections to each one of these uh, objections in turn. Yeah, go ahead and go into those for us. Well, two of them are easy to dismiss, um, <clears throat> and, and there's another one that's related too, which is that. Let's suppose we have a supplier of a corporation. So the, the corporation owes a debt to this supplier for providing some supplies or anyone else who has a contractual obligation. And if the corporation doesn't pay the obligation, doesn't uh, pay the promissory note, doesn't pay the loan, etc., can the promisee, the person who's owed money, can they pursue the assets of the shareholders, the, the legal owners of the corporation? And – the answer to that is quite easy. It's, it's, the answer is no because when you make a contract with a corporation, you're aware that it has corporate status because it's advertised and it's, it's held out that way. And you know that you can only pursue certain assets. You can't pursue the assets, the personal assets of the shareholders. What that means is if you own five Apple shares worth $300, then you know Apple might go bankrupt and you lose your $300 investment. But if Apple goes bankrupt and they owe a billion dollars to their creditors – um, and they can't pay the remaining debts, then the normally the creditors uh, can't – they just they just lose that money. They can't get that $1 billion. If they could pursue the personal assets of all the 5 million or whatever shareholders of Apple individually, they would be able to get that extra billion dollars because certainly there's a billion dollars of assets among those shareholders. So that question is relevant. Are they personally liable? And so that answer – that question could be answered just by pure contract law, which libertarians tend to agree with. So a contractual debt, um, you can explain why the creditors of a corporation are not able to pursue the personal assets of shareholders for a, for a contractual debt because the contract de- determines which assets, assets they can go after. But then the question arises, what about a tort? That is a ne- an act of negligence by one of the employees. So then the question is – and before we get to that, because that's the main issue, uh, the others can be easily dispensed with. Perpetual duration can be easily arranged by clever contracting, just like it can for trusts and for 
um, other contractual arrangements. You just specify that this is like a, a restrictive covenant, like in a neighborhood that, that, that determines the ownership of certain assets that the corporation owns. And it determines – there's like a, 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 a corporate document that determines – uh, who the owners are at a given time, right? And how the managers are appointed and how the employees that the managers hire are appointed, et cetera, how the board of directors is appointed. All this is just a procedural set of rules that it can be governed in the in the corporate charter or the articles of incorporation is sometimes called. Um, so perpetual duration and entity status is just a legal fiction created by the state. It's actually not necessary for the corporate form to exist um, uh, more or less in the state that it exists now. It's actually a convenience for the for the people that are harmed by the corporation. It makes it easier for them to find the right person to sue. Instead of finding the manager's names and the names of the shareholders or whatever or the board of directors, they just sue the corporation. So it's actually a convenience in their benefit. So and it and, and the entity status is basically a fiction uh, promoted by the government, the state as an excuse to regulate and tax the corporation. So the state says the following. Uh, the corporate form, the corporation could not exist without the privileges granted by the state. So we're granting this privilege, which you don't have a right to, and therefore we can condition this privilege based upon your agreeing to abide by certain regulations and taxes and so forth. Um, and actually the left libertarians and libertarians who who oppose the corporate form – Basically agree with the state on the premise, on the premise that the corporation could not exist without the state's blessing, um, and that's based upon the premise, again, that these three features could not exist without the state's uh, privilege grants, and that's what you know I would disagree with. Now, as I said, contractual limited liability is easy to explain. Tortious or negligent contractual uh, ne uh, liability – it's harder to explain. What what you have to do is you have to say, why would a person that is not the person who directly caused the harm be responsible in the first place for the actions of someone else? So if you have a driver of FedEx who's negligent, why should FedEx itself be liable? And then why should the managers be liable? Why should the board of directors be liable? And then why should the shareholders be liable? And in fact, if you say the shareholders are liable – why not the co-employees of the of the person? Why not the vendors and the suppliers? There's really no no end to this causal idea that other people are responsible for your harms. And it all goes back to the days of feudalism when we had a quasi-slavery system and an apprenticeship type system where you had the master-servant relationship. And basically servants were viewed as almost inanimate servants or act or, or means commanded by the master. And so therefore, if the master tells his slave or his servant to go deliver this package, he's just carrying out the will of the master. And of course, if there's negligence involved and someone is injured, then the master should be liable. So the entire idea of respondeat superior, the idea that someone else should be responsible for the negligence of, a, of, the, of the direct actor is based upon this almost feudalistic quasi-slavery type idea that masters are liable for the actions of their servants, just like parents are liable for the actions of their young children and owners of dogs are responsible for the actions of their dogs. But we in modern society don't always think of fellow adult human beings as analogous to dogs or slaves or young children. 
So the question arises, why should someone be responsible for the negligence of another person? If you didn't coerce them into doing it, like in the case of a general or a, an army commander ordering someone to you know, uh, do something during a war, or if you didn't um, pay them to do it in the case of like let's say a wife hiring a hitman to kill her husband, if you didn't have a direct connection to the person committing the direct uh, crime, why should the second person – be liable, and that's the question that we're faced with, and I think that's where the main criticism by libertarians of the corporate form um, uh, fails because it relies upon this notion of respondeat superior. It relies upon the idea, the implicit idea that if you employ someone, right – and the word employment, by the way, is a state concept. It just means to use or to exploit and we all use and exploit each other when we have contractual relationships with each other. So whenever you get someone else to do something that you want them to do, you're supposed to be liable for what they do if I guess you're in a so-called employer-employee relationship. But again, that's just an arbitrary classification uh, by the state. So I don't see why in general A is liable for the negligent actions of B just because A has given money to B. To do something. For example, if you go down to the FedEx store and you give them a package to deliver to someone in Alaska and they put this package on a, a truck and then it goes on a, a ship and then it goes on a plane and one of those vehicles ends up injuring someone way down the road, are you 100% liable for the damages done to an innocent victim that's harmed by the negligent actions of a driver of one of those vehicles? I don't see why that would be the case. You didn't commit the negligence. You simply paid $7 to have a, an envelope delivered. And I don't see this, the difference in libertarian or in economic theory between an employer and someone in the situation I just described because, again, the employment classification is just an arbitrary uh, state classification. Now, obviously, the state, uh, by getting involved here, has corrupted – this form uh, through regulations and taxation and uh, some other ways. So what, what, uh, uh, in what other ways has the state corrupted this form, and how has state involvement uh, changed over time? Well, the state's corrupted it in several ways. Number one, the, the state um, uh, pretends to be the, the, the entity that has the right to grant corporate status as a privilege. And when it grants it as a privilege, it has the right to condition it on whatever conditions it wants to impose on that grant. Um, and those include, as I said, corporate taxation, treating the corporation as an entity, and treating it as an entity for corporate tax purposes, which results in double taxation or extra taxation of the corporate shareholders. So I think that's wrong. So um, uh, and also the state, uh, the, the state. Uh, starts insinuating its control over these corporations, which, by the way, is what fascism is, right? Fascism is nominal private ownership of capital resources, but under indirect control by the state. And that's gradually what the state has done under the guise of recognition of the corporate form. The state has gradually imposed regulations on these corporations, Sarbanes-Oxley Act, Securities and Exchange Control Regulations, Antitrust Regulations, 
um, uh, minimum wage regulations, all these regulations, like they say, if you have a certain size, you have a certain number of employees, um, and also uh, anti-discrimination law and employment regulations, which govern employer-employee relationships. And of course, if you know Apple Computer tomorrow tried to simply say, we're not a corporation, we don't have any employees, everyone that works for us is, is an independent contractor – Right, so we don't have to withhold income tax, we don't have to um, pay their Medicare benefits, etc. Then the government would say, "No, we are classifying them as employees, whether you like it or not." And then you have to abide by these regulations. That's why the state won't let you self-classify, uh, which is one reason a lot of libertarian entrepreneurs and people who think they can just call themselves contractors, independent contractors, and not abide by the employer-employee regulations are just uh, naive and wrong, and they could get um, penalized for that. Um, so that is one way the government has corrupted things. The other is um, it has insinuated in society the idea that to be a corporation, to be a regular uh, firm in the modern sense, you need to have the blessing of a state. That is, you need the, some state to say you are a corporation. Here's your official name. Here's your corporate certificate. We're going to protect you as long as you incorporate in our state and you pay the taxes and fees every year that we say you have to pay. So it's really a way of manipulating capitalism and the corporations. It's not a privilege granted to the corporations. It is a way of uh, uh, forcing them to abide by government control. So anytime we bring up corporations, the Supreme Court Citizens United case is brought up. So what are some of the rights that corporate entities have and how have those changed over time? Yeah, so this – so the let's just go back for a second. The right libertarian way to look at this is that there are only people – only people have rights, that is individual human beings, what the law calls natural persons. Instead of legal persons, which are corporations and other entities, including states and uh, multinational organizations. Um, so only only natural persons, only people, only individual human beings have rights, and they have the right to uh, collaborate together to form cooperative endeavors, sometimes called firms by economists, right? And you can call them whatever you want. You can call them a partnership. You can call them a joint venture. You can call them a corporation. Um the, the danger of calling a corporation is it buys into the state's nomenclature. right? If you, a corporation means a body, which means it has a legal entity status, which is buying into the entity theory of the corporation. And by the way, the, 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 the seminal book on this is a very short monograph by Robert Hessen from I think the mid-1970s. I want to say 1974 called In, In Defense of the Corporation, and he just demolishes all of this stuff. It's really good. Um, he shows that the entity theory is not necessary for the for what's effectively the corporation to exist. In a free market, maybe they wouldn't be called corporations. Maybe they would just call themselves firms or organizations or companies, maybe just companies, maybe limited liability companies, maybe limited partnerships. It, it, it doesn't matter what they call themselves. The point is these things would exist um, um, on their own. Now, the question is what rights do they have? Once the government classifies these organizations of people as entities and then claims the right to treat them as entities for various purposes, then you have certain dilemmas arise. So one, for example, is what if there's what's called a criminal action 
committed by not just the employees of a corporation but by the corporation itself. Well, you can't put a corporation in jail because it doesn't literally have a physical body because it's not literally a physical person. Theoretically, you could close a corporation down. It's punishment. But some of these ideas that we have that apply to natural persons don't really apply to legal persons. But the government tries to make them apply as much as they can to maintain their fiction so they can maintain their control and taxation of people that are organized in the form of corporations. So then the question would arise, well, if you're going to call them a legal person, what are their rights under the constitution? Because under the constitution, under the 14th amendment, citizens and persons have certain rights. So does a corporation have the rights of free speech, et cetera? And so the courts have grappled with this. And what they said in Citizens United, if I recall more or less correctly, is that the free speech rights guaranteed by the First Amendment do apply to corporations kind of because they're really just representations of individuals who have free speech rights. Um, it's sort of a difficult balancing act the court's trying to do here because they have to treat the corporation as a person. And yet if they do, they can't punish that person. So it's sort of a fiction that doesn't maintain its coherence. Um, in libertarian theory, in my view, we would simply say every individual has free speech rights, which are really just derivative of their property rights. And any rights of the corporation is just a consequence of the rights held by the people. Just like we say that the, the government is illegitimate. Because it tries to do things that are that individual people couldn't do on their own. I couldn't tax my neighbor, so me and 20 neighbors can't get together and tax my neighbor. Um, uh, the addition of numbers doesn't change the moral situation, and the same would be the case for rights. So we have the government saying that corporations can, um, uh, can donate to campaigns, and they're covered by the, the free speech rights that apply to campaign contributions… Because they're persons and because they're owned by natural persons. So it's kind of a, mis a mishmash. It's a messy legal doctrine made necessary only because of the fiction spread by the government in the first place. All right. Now, I want to return to the topic of shareholders a little bit before we wrap up. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on the role of shareholders uh, under the current corporate <clears throat> structure and what their role might be in the absence of uh, state involvement? Well, I think that… The way a corporation is structured could be very similar and probably would be very similar in some types of private company organizations in a free market. Again, I don't know if they'd be called corporations because that relies a little bit on the state's classification of them as having entity status. But the way a corporation is structured now is that a corporation is formed. It has certain assets which are deposited by the initial shareholders. The shareholders are legally defined as the the uh, the Natural persons or other corporations, shareholders can be other corporations or partnerships, but let's just say they're natural persons for now. So you have a certain number of natural persons, human beings that come together in a cooperative endeavor, and they're all owners in certain fractions of the assets of this, of this entity called a corporation. And they have certain rights that go with that, and these rights are defined in corporate statutes by the states and also in the – Articles of incorporation and the bylaws adopted by the corporation when they're formed or when they're modified from time to time. So the way it works is you have basically two or three or four sets of people. The shareholders have the right to to elect the board the board of directors, okay, and they also have the right to get dividends 
if the company ever pays dividends, which is excess profits, or they have the right to receive the assets of the company upon a liquidation. That is, a company goes out of business, they go bankrupt, or they wind down, or they're acquired by another corporation, then whatever the assets are, they get distributed um, to the shareholders according to their to their shares. So that's one of the rights of shareholders. The other is to vote for the board of directors, and the other is to receive dividends, which is similar to the winding up situation. So basically the rights of the shareholders are pretty limited. The, like if you're a shareholder of Google, you don't have the right to go use the Google corporate jet. You don't have the right if you're the shareholder of Apple to go visit their new facility they're building in California because the rights are distributed according to the the agreements um, that found the corporation in the first place. So you have shareholders, and they elect the board members. The board members appoint the the top managers of the firm, you know, the, the president, the CEO, etc. These guys go hire employees. So then you have managers and sub-managers and employees, all that are employees of the corporation. So you basically have employees, managers, board of directors, and shareholders in that order. And they all have different rights to use the resources of the corporation depending upon their role, and they have different rights to receive the assets of the corporation. If someone loans money to the bank uh, – sorry, to the corporation, then they're a creditor right, or a lender, and they have a certain right to receive assets of the corporation too. And in fact, if the corporation owes you know, a billion dollars to creditors or to bondholders because of a loan, and they also have a billion dollars of um, investment from shareholders outstanding, then they have to pay the, the creditors first. You know, that's just the way the arrangement works. Um, so there's different priorities and arrangements there. So the thing is the shareholders under libertarian theory in my view and under Hessen's view and under Rothbard's view and under um, the view of Roger Pallon who's a Cato um, libertarian scholar, the shareholders basically are passive investors. They are really no different than someone who – Purchases a hamburger from McDonald's. You know, if you buy a Big Mac from McDonald's, you're giving McDonald's three or four or five dollars. So you're actually giving money to this corporation. You're helping them out. You're giving them assets. If you buy a share of stock in McDonald's, you're giving them twenty dollars or a hundred dollars, right? Um, so merely giving, or if you're a vendor of, of, or if you're an employee, or an employee of McDonald's, then you're you're giving them benefit. You're giving them aid. So unless you want to apply the criminal standard of aiding and abetting and to say that anyone who gives any help whatsoever to the existence of a corporation, one of whose employees later commits a negligent act, then you're liable for that, right? And obviously we can't say that. You can't say that you're liable for all the torts of McDonald's employees just because you bought a hamburger from them. Right? And if you can't say that, you can't say that a shareholder is liable either because a shareholder, again, doesn't control the day-to-day -day operations of the firm. All they do is vote for the board of directors. The board of directors appoints upper managers. Upper managers hire the day-to-day -day managers and the employees, and it goes down from there to there. So it is a complicated question determining who is responsible, but the corporate statutes that say that a shareholder is simply not liable – for the torts of employees of a corporation they've invested in, I don't think gives them a privilege that they wouldn't have already by the natural operation of the law because there's no reason you'd be responsible in the first place for the torts 
or the negligent actions of an employee of a corporation that you happen to own a shareholder, a stock in. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. I know we already discussed some of the criticisms uh, from libertarians, but uh, most of the criticisms of corporations come from the left and kind of Bernie Sanders and Occupy Wall Street. What are some of the criticisms that they have, and what are some of the comebacks? Well, one criticism is that um, the state should not be granting privileges, Okay, and I agree with that, Uh, and there are lots of privileges the state does grant. Um, uh, I mean the state grants a monopoly to the post office, for example, and it grants quasi-monopoly status to other companies. The state grants patents and copyrights to companies, which I oppose and which are privileges they shouldn't be granting. It helps these companies um, fight off competition. Basically, the government's giving you a little piece of paper saying, "Come to us, and we'll st- we'll help you stop your competition with the force of law." That's what patent and copyright are. So there are lots of privileges a state grants that it shouldn't grant, and others would include um, uh, affirmative action and anti discrimination. You know, if you're a minority, you have a privilege in employment applications, for example. So the state has no right to be interfering in private relations to grant these privileges. But the problem is that the criticism of the state assumes that when the state says shareholders are not going to be liable for the torts the corporation is responsible for, the assumption is that's a privilege grant. But that assumption assumes that absent corporate state and corporation statutes that you would naturally be liable for torts of any company that you're an investor in. And that's just not wrong. It's a, uh, that's not correct, as I've already explained, because the way responsibility works is primarily you're responsible for your own actions, but you're not responsible for the tortious actions of someone that you just give money to. If if you were responsible for that, again, we'd all be responsible for everything everyone else does because the economy is interconnected. We all benefit each other. Uh, every time you buy a gun… Uh, you're giving money to Smith & Wesson Corporation or whoever the, the vendor is, and then they'd be liable for every crime committed with the owner of a gun that they manufactured 20 years or 50 or 100 years before right? because they, they, they produced the gun. They sold it to someone who sold it to someone who gave it to someone who got it stole from them by someone. Finally, that gun was used to harm someone. So you trace back up the chain of causation. The corporation is liable. All the managers are liable. All the board members are liable, and all the shareholders are liable, and then all the customers should be liable too because they gave money to the corporation too. So there's just no end to this chain of causation trying to make everyone responsible for everyone else's actions. But that's the opposite of libertarianism, right? So the, the primary criticism is based upon a legal and a, and a political misunderstanding. It's based upon the idea that… The, the idea of responding as superior is natural. The idea that you should be responsible for the actions of other people that you somehow have a connection to who do something wrong, the idea that you should naturally be liable with them, like you're a co-guarantor of their, of their loans or you're, a co- or you're responsible for their actions as if you're the parent of a young child or you're the owner of a, of an irresp- of, of a dangerous animal or a dog that you let run loose. Right, something like that, or your servant or your slave that you commanded. So there's an analogy there that I think is contrary to libertarianism. So the primary opposition to corporations, from libertarians at least, 
is based upon this misconception of where responsibility comes from. Responsibility comes from the result of your personal actions, and you're only responsible for someone else's actions if there's a particular reason to hold you to it. Again, as I said, if you have a contract with them where you paid them to commit the bad action or if you coerce them into committing the bad action, if you're somehow responsible for it, but not just because you gave them material support like being a customer or even a, a vendor or a shareholder of, of them. So I think that's the primary objection. Another objection primarily uh, coming from the left is that corporations are too economically powerful and too big and too exploitative. And I think the reject the objection to that is just a standard free market economic case that um, this objection is just ill-founded. I mean there's nothing wrong with bigness per se. The free market has natural limits on how big corporations or any economic actor can get, and no one has a right to be treated any certain way by a corporation in the first place. So if corporations have prices that are too high or they collaborate with other companies to, to set prices um, or if they don't pay the right wages or if they don't pay a minimum wage, none of these things are violations of rights because the – the, the so-called victims of these actions don't have a right to be treated any other kind of way. Otherwise, we would have to have positive rights and a claim on other people's liberty, lives, and property. So one more thing before we conclude here. Uh, but what role does DNO insurance and other types of liability insurance play under the current system, <coughs> and what role would liability insurance play in the absence of state involvement? Right. So DNO means directors and officers liability insurance. And what happens is right now under the current law, uh, directors are the ones who are really in charge of the overall direction of the corporation, and they are potentially liable uh, vicariously for the actions of the corporation. And so most of these directors refuse to become directors of corporations unless they get insurance <laughs> in case there's liability. So they request that. Uh, and the same thing with the officers, the guys the directors appoint. Now, notice that there's no such thing as shareholders insurance because shareholders are not liable right now. The opponents of corporations say that that's only because shareholders are limited from liability by the effect of these limited liability statutes. But even if that were true, even if shareholders were held liable, then DNO insurance would simply be extended to be DNO and S insurance. It would be directors, officers, and shareholder insurance. It would slightly increase the cost of running a corporation, which would slightly increase the cost of the products it sells and reduce its efficiency and harm consumer welfare. But basically, the cost of this insurance would be passed down to the consumer, um, just like DNO insurance is. I think in a free market, you would have something like DNO insurance because the, the the managers of the corporation do often direct its policy, and that filters down to the lower-level managers and then to the employees. And if they commit an action which is tortious or negligent, um, you could see how an argument could be made that their supervisors who are directing their actions are also responsible for what they do, and therefore they're going to want insurance, uh, at least in cases where they weren't. Uh, you know, intentionally or grossly negligent. So I think you could have insurance. I think the insurance is a natural aspect of, of having a business like this. It only adds a cost to the business. In some cases, it's justified. In some cases, it wouldn't be justified, but it would arise if the state insisted upon uh, shareholder liability being abolished. 
Uh, and one other thing, most people that criticize the corporate form and shareholder limited liability don't even understand how corporations are organized. They're clueless about what limited liability means. Most of them are under the false impression that limited liability statutes mean that the managers and the share and the, and the and the and the and the officers and even the board members are exempt from liability and they even think that even the employees that perform the tortious act are exempt from liability which is just completely wrong um, limited liability statutes basically recognize the fact that shareholders are passive actors and they don't really have anything directly to do with the policies of the corporation or with the the actions committed by the the employees, so they wouldn't be liable in the first place because they they're just not part of the action. In fact, most states would say that what's called an active shareholder. That is, so let's say you have a shareholder like Steve Jobs, for example, in Apple was a shareholder, but he was also the chairman of the board and presumably an employee. If he committed an act that was tortious as employee of Apple, he would be personally liable. Apple would be liable for his actions because he was an employee of them at the time, and he might even be liable as a board member because he had voted for that policy to be enacted. But he wouldn't be liable as a shareholder, but the fact that he was a shareholder wouldn't give him immunity from liability. So the point the point is that the limited liability provided by statute corporate incorporation statutes only does what naturally would happen anyway. It doesn't really protect managers, officers, even employees or board members. It doesn't protect them at all. They are all subject to liability in accordance with standard um, state law on on responsibility for being a, a causal role in an act of negligence of someone else. Uh, it only recognizes that shareholders are by and large passive investors and they haven't participated in the actions that caused harm to someone else. Okay. A lot of information there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And do you have any recommended readings? I know you already recommended one, but do you have any more recommended readings for our listeners? And where can our listeners go to find more of your work? I'll send you some links if you want to link them to your show notes. But if you just go to my website, stephanconsella.com, and go to my podcast page on episode 170, I talked about corporations with Tom Woods and in that in the show notes for that, I have several links for articles and blog posts I've written, which give more information about all this material. Episode 170. All right. Well, great. And uh, wakeupcallpodcast.com slash corporations is the show notes page for this episode. And we'll link to the Hessen book. We'll link to any articles that you send us. Uh, we'll link to that Tom Wood show uh, interview. Uh, so wakeupcallpodcast.com slash corporations is the place for that. And uh, on that note, I want to thank you uh, very much for joining us today and, and being so generous with your time. And we'd love to talk to you again sometime soon. Glad to do it. Love to do it again. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wake Up Call podcast. If you would like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or subscribe on Stitcher. And check out our website at wakeupcallpodcast.com. There you will find show notes pages and comment sections dedicated to the show. You can also email us at contact at wakeupcallpodcast.com if you're interested in being interviewed for the show or have any other suggestions. Thank you.